out on a Friday. Still more to uh, to come this hour. We'll look to chat with uh, Toby Johnson, former University of Georgia defensive lineman and New Jersey uh, general. But joining us here on the program, he is the head coach of the New Orleans Breakers. Larry Fajora joins us here on the program. Coach, thanks for, for being patient. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How about y'all? Hey, we're, we're doing fantastic. Uh, appreciate uh, you coming on. Talk about getting involved with the USFL and just the, the excitement of being a part of that league. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, to me, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. I mean, to be, you know, to have the chance to be on the ground floor with a uh, brand new league and start a professional football league from the ground floor and watch it. Uh, you know, grow and flourish. So I'm, I'm, I'm just extremely excited about having this opportunity. Coach, we just had the draft. Uh, how did, how did that uh, structure come out the way it did? And uh, what was the scouting process like of evaluating potential players ahead of the draft? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. First of all, you know, it's my first experience with the draft. I've been in uh, nothing but uh, college football, you know, for the last 30 years. So, but uh, what we did as a staff, uh, there were probably close to 900 uh, guys that were in the draft pool. And what we did was break them down by position and start uh, watching as much film as we possibly could on each individual, uh, putting a ranking on them, talking to their, uh, you know, the coaches that, they're, that they've had in the professional level or on the college level that we were familiar with to get as much information. Uh, the tough thing was is we didn't get to really meet with them. We didn't get to work them out. So uh, you're basically going off film and, uh, you know, recommendation from a previous coach. And, Coach, how exciting do you think that can make the game when you're looking at the fact you got guys who obviously want to play professional football, probably been out of the league or out of college a couple of years, you get a chance to – everybody kind of get to grow together. It is. You know, Ben, we, we've got uh, – you know, we've got a bunch of guys that are hungry. They're They're excited for this opportunity to play pro ball in the spring. And, uh, you know, I think they all have dreams of, 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 of trying to even go on to the NFL after this, and they, they think this is the thing that will help them get there. So they're really hungry to, uh, you know, to perform and do well. And, uh, you know, just for me, it's just uh, exciting to be around some people that are, that are excited, you know. Larry Fedora joining us here on 3 and Out. So what does the schedule look like for you now? You just had the draft. Is it kind of like a – spring practice to throw back to your collegiate days uh, kind of ramped up to try to get everybody on the same page before you guys start playing? Yeah, so we'll start, uh, you know, we have 35 of the 45 players uh, drafted. So we've got a supplemental draft that we will be preparing for uh, on March 10th. And so we've got another 10 guys that we have to fill out our team with. And at the same time, we'll be, uh, you know, Zooming daily uh, with our offense and defense and our special teams to start installing, you know, what we're going to do uh, schematically on, on each side of the ball. Uh, we'll do that all the way up until the uh, players report, which they report on the, uh, on March 22nd. And then on 20, the 5th of March, we start our preseason camp. Uh, you know, so we'll be in a, in camp there in Birmingham, uh, you know, and we'll go through camp until uh, the opening game, which is uh, April 16th. Coach, is this going to be uh, football kind of in the traditional capacity to the fullest extent with, uh, you know, games and, uh, and logistics and organization the same way that we know it? Or are there going to be some new elements uh, to the USFL compared to kind of, kind of everything we've always seen? Well, I tell you what, I, I do know it's going to be quality football. I know that. I, I know that because of the players that were drafted and the coaches that are in this league. And, uh, you know, 
I think what you're going to see quality football, and I think you're going to see uh, really good football. You know that that uh, guys will be excited to uh, play in, and guys that will be excited to watch. I mean, the thing that I don't know is we don't know all the rules uh, and how it's going to go down at this point. But uh, you know, I, I do know that uh, it's going to be very similar to the NFL rules with a few tweaks here and there. Coach, I mean, because you guys got to kind of like jump out there without not even really having no time to really know who can do what. Are you guys going to be able to do any type of inner squad scrimmage? And I know you, I know, I don't know how it's going to go as far as like the preseason goes, but has uh, has you guys discussed any inner squad scrimmages to kind of get some, you know, different competition for those guys? I do believe there will be one, you know, one scrimmage against another team uh, before we actually get in the games, and I think that's for all of us to you know, to do what we need to do and also for the officials to do what they need to do to get ready for this, uh, this thing when it kicks off April 16th. So, yeah, and I'm sure we'll have some inner squad also, Ben. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got, you got 45 guys on a team, so you're really you're, you're just too deep, uh, you know, at some positions and at some you're not. So it, that will be, uh, you know, be mainly, you know, your offense going against your defense and, and uh, you know, just getting as good a look as possible. But at the same time, you got to keep everybody healthy. I mean, you you, you got to get them to each Sunday, and so that's going to be, you know, their rest and recovery is going to be extremely important for us. I know you said you were looking for a challenge of an upstart league, but how much fun for for you is this as a coach? Just uh, as I said, there's no kind of back history with this league, or do you feel kind of free to try some things and just uh, go out there and have fun with it? How, how are you kind of approaching that from a from a head coaching job? Well, I wouldn't have gotten into it if it wasn't going to be fun. So we're, we're going to have some fun. Uh, obviously, anytime you keep in score, you want to win. So we're going to do everything within our power to win football games and, and have some fun while we're doing it. Coach, what are your what are your expectations? I mean, there's so much newness. Uh, obviously, fans are still getting adjusted to the format and processing the draft and learning about the teams and the league. Uh, what are your expectations for what we're going to see in the USFL? Yeah, my, my expectation is is that it's going to be good football. That that's the thing is is I want to make sure that uh, we're putting a, a great product on the field, uh, something that uh, people will be excited to watch. I mean, I, I think uh, that's the key. I, I don't think anybody wants to see uh, a circus out there. So uh, I think people want to see good quality football, and that's you know by the by the players that were drafted uh, up to this point. I think you I think you're going to see that for sure. And coach, I mean, I know you talked about it when we first came on, but what was that process like for you? You got a new league coming back out. Obviously, when you think about, um, you know, spring football at the pro level, we've been hearing about it for the last couple of years, even though COVID kind of shut it down a little bit for certain leagues. What was it like scouting you? Obviously, you got a long, uh, you know, career in, in in the college. What made you want to go to the pro level? Yeah, you know, you know, Ben, it was uh, just the excitement of doing something different and doing something that. Uh, you know, that, that not many people get the opportunity to do. And, and I'm not just talking coach football at this level. I'm talking about being involved with the start of the league, you know, and, and uh, flew out to L.A. and spent some time uh, out there at Fox Studios with the Fox people that are behind this whole thing uh, to see what their commitment was and the infrastructure that they had put in place. And uh, that's what really got me excited about it. And so, you know, I, I'm just uh, you know kind of rejuvenated. I'm, I'm I'm excited about doing something that uh, I've never had the opportunity to do before. And coach, I mean, I think I think sometimes, obviously, being being able to be there, have gotten coached under you and knowing type of guy you are, the great thing about it is, man. I mean, I know we talked about it a little bit. We were texting back and forth. You don't have to worry about that southern twang. I don't know if you got that Creole twang, but you already got that southern twang. 
Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to worry about uh, about my voice. I got uh, what I got is what I got. I'm not going to try to be anybody else. We're just going to go. Uh, we'll go coach them up and and have some fun out there, score some points, and stop some people, and hopefully uh, win some football games. You mentioned uh, being everybody's playing there in in Birmingham. How much uh, familiarity is it between you and some of the other coaches and the other staffs? And obviously, uh, I know some of you have crossed paths before, but. Is what's that feel going to be like? Where you're all kind of uh, coaching, practicing, playing within the same vicinity the entire season. Not only that, we're all living at the same place. We're you know all eight teams and all eight staffs are living in the same hotel for those four months. So it will be that will be interesting. You know that really will. And and I am familiar with uh, most of the coaches in the league. There's only one that I had never met before. Uh, some of them I have a coached against. Uh, some I haven't. But. Uh, you know, you know, coaching is a small fraternity. We we all pretty much know each other. Uh, it's going to be fun because it's going to have to be a collaborative effort. You know, when you got all eight teams there uh, with meeting rooms and practice facilities and all the the uh, you know all the logistics that are involved in uh, you know in putting a team together and and practicing and 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 playing games. So it's uh, you know it's going to be interesting as we go. I mean, it's it's the unknown that's kind of exciting about it. And, Coach, I mean, I think this league got an opportunity to be very, very exciting when you think about the fact that, look, I mean, we all know when you play major college football, it is extremely rare, one, to coach in it, two, to even try to have an opportunity to go to the next level. You talk about a bunch of guys who probably thought their professional careers was over. To see their name flash across the screen on Twitter, it had to make them feel good. I think you're going to have a lot of hungry guys, as you mentioned, going out there. And because they were such close proximity, it's nothing better than beating up on a guy you probably, like, sleeping right across the room from. You're, you're, you're exactly right, Ben. I tell you what, in talking to a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys were like, you know, they came out, they were seniors in uh, 20, uh, you know, the COVID deal shut down their combine and shut down their pro days, you know, so they really didn't get a look and they kind of just have been swept aside and, and for the next class. And, and uh, so there were a lot of guys in this thing were just so excited about the opportunity to get back out there and show what they can do and hopefully – you know, create some type of living for their family. Absolutely. USFL coming back in a uh, real quick fashion. Coach Larry Fedora joining us here on 3 and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. You bet, guys. You guys have a great day, and thanks for having me on. Will do. Thanks so much. Larry Fedora, New Orleans Breakers head coach and uh, GM there as the USFL getting back underway. And I didn't realize that they were all staying in the same place. I don't know, man. You get somebody that kind of steals one from you on Sunday, Ben, then you got to look at them for the next two, three weeks. Could get interesting there. It's going to be very interesting, uh, Kevin. But I think, too, I mean, give the USFL a lot of credit, right? You kind of got like a college feel when you think about living quarters and different situations. And think about this. If I'm in the hotel, I would hope. If I'm in the hotel the whole year, I would hope that I don't have to pay for my hotel. I would hope that that gets (laughs) gone. For the next four months, I don't know how they work that out. But I think it's going to be great because you get a chance to kind of see how other teams operate. You get a chance to see how other guys kind of go about their business if you're working out the same place and different things. But I think it makes the games so much better, Kevin, because there is no travel. You know, everything is right here, food, lodging, everything. The guys with families, you know, I think it might be challenging for them because you got to, you know, uproot your family for four months. But it's an opportunity to play in the pros. Hey, sounds like minor league baseball 
because those guys have to do that, and some of them never ever come out of there, Kevin. But it's a chance, like uh, Coach Fedora said, you get to make a couple of dollars and provide for your family. So congratulations to Coach Fedora, all the coaches, and all the players. I was going to say, Ben, this is like the uh, the Ben Troop uh, coaching uh, circle. You got him, Jeff Fisher, a whole bunch of guys that uh, you have played for uh, making the rounds there in the USFL. Hey, listen, Kevin. Since we know where they at, we might. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how the bubble situation is. I don't know how. You know, we might have to just go down there. I said, listen, man. What room is Coach Fedora in? Oh, he's on. He's on the fourth floor. They got their whole team on the fourth. But they, I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, Birmingham. You think about the opportunity they get. I mean, outside of the Senior Bowl, they get a chance to say, "Dude, the USFL is coming here." So if you are in Birmingham, Alabama, get ready for the traffic to get awful because you are about to have a lot more company coming up here soon. <laughs> and again, it's coming up here right quick. We've got so much to get to here on Three. I appreciate Larry Fedora joining us here on the program. When we return, we'll chat with Toby Johnson. He was one of those who was drafted in the uh, USFL draft out of the University of Georgia, going to the New Jersey Generals. We'll talk with him next here on Three and Out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Friday, Kevin BJ and Ben. And thanks to Larry Fedora joining us here. The USFL coming back uh, in a couple of weeks after they, as he said, finish up the uh, the supplemental uh, draft coming up. But one player who was uh, drafted earlier this week out of uh, the University of Georgia, former Georgia defensive lineman, now with the New Jersey Generals, Toby Johnson, joins us here on 3 Now. Toby, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How y'all doing today? Hey, man, we're doing fantastic. Speak to to that opportunity uh, to to go back and and play football again, and what kind of uh, attracted you to get involved, get in the draft pool here for the USFL. Uh, I was just more so excited about uh, getting back out there playing outdoor football. Um, the last year, or so I was up here in uh, Massachusetts playing arena ball, and uh, I'm just excited just to get back out there one last time. You know, I'm older now. I'm just excited to get back out there and just play with. A, a lot of guys that I'm comfortable with because the generals, coaches or whatever, they were the same coaches that I played with in the XFL when I played with the New York uh, Guardians. What were your expectations, Toby, coming into the draft? I know the draft did it kind of position by position. Uh, Did you have a sense that you were going to get a phone call, and uh, what was it like getting that call? Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, I had been talking to, uh, you know, a couple of the teams, Houston, New Orleans, and, you know, a couple of more other teams in the Actually, I, I didn't even know uh, that, you know, our coaches that we had from the New York Guardians was the coaches to like two days before the draft. And, you know, I kind of had a, a feeling that if then nobody else draft me, that they was going to draft me, even though uh, I had spoke to a lot of the other coaches. They said they was going to draft me. And uh, I was just excited when, the, you know, I got the phone call or whatever. Um, I don't really know what uh, area we're going to be in in New Jersey, but I'm hoping it's not uh, Mawa, New Jersey again. <laughs> but I know everything's supposed to be in uh, uh, Birmingham this year for the first year. So I'm just excited, man. I want to put the world on notice. And, uh, you know, the Bulldogs, we've been winning. You know, we the one. Uh, I won a championship last year. Georgia won a championship uh, at the college. Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl. So we've been winning. So I'm just excited, man. <laughs> I mean, so Toby, so are you saying, listen, uh, you can tell all the other teams, look, man, I mean, listen, generals, we finna go ahead and lock this first year up. Y'all boys can go ahead and chop it up. We, you do, I'm just I'm just bringing this uh, winter tradition. Oh, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Like I said, we had, we had a good year last year. I'm just trying to, you know, carry over to this year. Toby, speak to kind of physically, mentally, how you prepare yourself. You said you were playing arena league. Uh, now, yeah. transitioning to this league, how do you kind of stay ready to, to change with the games and 
know if it's going to be a possibility and things of that nature. How do you kind of stay ready for the switch in, in what's going on? Uh, actually, I had a lot of interest when I left the XFL. I had a couple of workouts or whatever or whatnot, but uh, I wasn't vaccinated until uh, late, the later part of last year, even though I played in arena ball out here in Massachusetts. So, uh, you know, I still, you know, me and my agent, we was chopping it up or whatever, and I still, uh, you know, knowing I needed to stay in shape with the COVID protocols and all that stuff they had last year. It was uh, bringing guys in off the street left and right. So, uh, you know, I just stayed in shape. And uh, I knew this opportunity was coming, too, because, you know, they had been talking about it for about a year now. And, uh, you know, the XFL was, you know, they said they were going to come back this year or even next year, too. So, you know, this was my last chance. I feel like this is my last chance to get back in. So uh, I'm just I'm just ready, man, for real. So that was all the motivation I needed. You mentioned uh, familiarity with some of the coaches. Uh, I know a number of guys out of the SEC, a number of uh, uh, former Georgia Bulldogs were drafted during the draft. How much familiarity do you have with some of the other guys, some of the other players in the league, and uh, maybe even on your own roster? Uh, I got a lot of familiarity uh, with the guys on my roster. Like I said, they drafted pretty much the same team as far as DBs, a couple linebackers. You know, our D-line was pretty good, so – you know, most of the guys I play with on my D-line, three of them, they got picked up in the NFL, and the other two just not playing football anymore. They retired. So, uh, and as far as, like, the uh, boys that got picked up from Georgia, <laughs> John Atkins, that's my best friend. You know, he got picked up with uh, Temple. I was actually his best man in his wedding. Uh, Mike or whatever, that's like a little brother to me. So, a lot of the D-linemen that's, you know, or a lot of the guys from Georgia that got picked up or whatever, I'm very – familiar with him. I talk to him all the time. And Toby, I mean, when you think about how, how interesting your uh, your journey has been since you left the University of Georgia, you talk about being in Massachusetts, being able to be, uh, have a, have like, you know, just understand this coaching staff that you with, it shows that, look, you're a highly sought after player, man. Just because the NFL dream, you know, didn't come to the forefront like you wanted to, you still seem to be a very highly sought after player that can help, you know, multiple leagues. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I said, um, you know, around my, uh, you know, while I was in the league or whatever, it was unfortunate. You know, guys get hurt. And, you know, I was one of them guys that got hurt and kept, you know, bouncing around from team to team, trying to just really just get my feet wet and, you know what I mean, get a real opportunity. And, uh, you know, that, you know, with me putting up the, some of the film that I, I was able to put out, you know, over the years or whatever, that's just been keeping me around, you know. I'm just, I'm just thankful for that. And, you know, being at a school like Georgia, too, get the uh you know network you see you get the network and build those relationships and you know always just put your best foot forward and you know that carry you a long ways in life there and you, you mentioned hey i'm kind of an older player you're gonna be out there with some of them young bucks out there how much of it is just having fun at this stage as well obviously you still want to try to keep your name out there and try uh, to move but how much of it is just hey man this is an opportunity and i'm gonna I'm go out there and just you know, enjoy it and have fun uh, for for what it is. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's definitely fun. And but I'm taking this 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 serious to me. You know, like I said, this it can this probably be my last year, last go round at this thing if I don't get in. But I'm I want to have fun while doing it. You know, uh, I'm excited. You know, with a new league, you know, everybody anticipating anticipating it. You know, them gonna be they gonna be competing against the XFL and all that stuff. So. Uh, I'm taking this super serious, though. <laughs> I want to have fun, but, 
that this is this one of the you know this a make or break year for me and I feel like my life and everything so uh you know I'm going out put my best foot forward just feel like this is gonna be my best year of my career so I'm I'm excited. Toby, what kind of football do you expect uh, in the USFL? Do you know if there's going to be anything different to it at all, or uh, what type of how competitive do you expect this league to be? Uh, yeah, I, I expect for it to be the, the exact same. You know, same rules. Uh, they haven't came out and said nothing. You know how the XFL rules was? They had different rules on kickoff, wanted to eliminate some of the big hits, so they they shorted shorted uh, the kickoff and all that stuff. So uh, I think it's going to be the same rules as. Uh, regular outdoor football because, uh, you know, they ain't came out and said nothing about it yet. So I'm anticipating it, it, it to be the same, you know, NFL rules or college rules or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so as far as, you know, I'm a D lineman, so I don't too much, <laughs> I don't too much have to worry too much about special team. But, you know, the roster is going to be super small with the USFL. They said uh, only 38 guys dress on game day. So uh, I kind of wrap my mind around it that I may have to, you know, get back on kickoff. You know, they had – took a lot of the bigger guys off on kickoff returns. So, you know, now I'm thinking <laughs> I'm going to have to be back out there on kickoff return. And, you know, I might have to even run down there on kickoff and one to You never know. So I'm just going to do whatever best, you know, whatever they need me to do. I'm just I'm going to be up and prepare for it. I mean, I'm just saying, Toby, man, I mean, they, they got you right down on kickoff. I mean – you know that's that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna provide some big collisions. I know them. I know they got them small guys returning kicks. Well, they asked me to do. I'm doing it. I'm doing. Put my best foot forward. And, you know, I'm be ready to do it. Uh, you know, that's just part of the game. You know, uh, like I said, with 38 guys, though, I'm sure they have some guys out there on my side. You know, with the wedge and all that stuff, they gonna have to. They gonna have to with the numbers being so slim. And Toby, man, how how much better prepared are you as just as a pro? I think I think we throw that word out there, pro. You you it doesn't mean you got to be in the National Football League. Anything post collegiate football, you a pro. How much better are you as a pro, and how how much farther along are you ready to kind of take a lot of these young guys under your league? It's a lot. It's a bunch of guys. This is their first time ever playing pro ball. They're gonna be coming to you. You already gonna have to serve as that big brother. On top of the fact that you're gonna be one of the best guys on the team. Yeah, uh, I kind of. You know, uh, you know, being a pro, or whatever, it's a lot more to do with the off the field things. You know, taking care of your body, uh, putting in the extra hours of you know film, and you know, uh, just doing what you have to do to the. Because at this point, it's like uh, you know, it's a, it's about your livelihood. It ain't about you know a quarter or two, or you, or you may get be sitting out a quarter or two. I try to explain to guys like, man, this 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 how you gonna eat? This how you gonna provide for your family? You know. Guys start to take it a little more serious when you get to talking, putting it, putting things like that in perspective. Like you know, what you gonna go home to? You know, what 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 you gonna do after this? So, you know, uh, you know, I've been doing it for a while now. Even though you know I've been out the league now for what two years, three, finna be three years. So it's like uh, you know, I still go back, still talk to guys, still you know tell my story or whatever. You know, a lot of guys still look at me like you know a big brother, which I am a big brother. You know, a, a leader, or whatever. I'm one of the guys over the years I always you know get on Twitter and go on a rant or whatever about you know Georgia be good every year but why ain't no D lineman getting drafted out of Georgia you know you had the teams like Florida the school you went to uh, or uh, you know Alabama and all these schools but Georgia have yet to have a defensive tackle get drafted since John Jenkins and that was like 2012 and I'm like man we produce a lot of talent so 
I go back to them guys all the time and just let them know how important it is to, you know, take this serious. You know, you'll get a mini camp invite or, you know, being undrafted, that's that's one thing. But, you know, you want to be drafted. So I try to explain to them guys all the time, man. Like, I did not know how important playing at Georgia was until I became older. Like, <laughs> when I was there, I didn't I ain't look at it like that. Now that I'm – I'm older, man. I'd be so mad just watching the games. I'd be so mad just because it's like, man, like, y'all playing for me now. Like, <laughs> I wasn't looking at it back then. Like, playing for fans or playing for – you know, I always, I always play for my name, too. Play for my family and everything. But it, it's bigger than that. It's, you know, it, it's bigger than just yourself. So you have to look at stuff like that. And so I think that D lineman thing is going to change in this year's draft uh, for yeah. sure for for uh, for Georgia. But uh, Toby Johnson joining us here on uh, three and out, uh, New Jersey Generals. You mentioned you played in the XFL, uh, which is also kind of a startup league. Just speak to your time there. I know it got cut short because of COVID, but it seemed like the players generally uh, had a lot of fun with kind of a different style, different way of playing football. In game interviews with players, all kinds of different stuff to make it a little more fun for fans and players. Speak to that time and just playing in in the XFL and what was that like to kind of be in that that whirlwind that was what uh, five six weeks of football before it had to stop due to COVID. Uh, it was very exciting, you know. Um, being in New York, it's it's a you know that's that's one of the top places as far as like the media outlets and stuff like that. And we was able to play at uh, uh, what the uh, what the stadium name was MetLife. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> MetLife, so it was exciting. I feel like we had a, a great fan base, and the other teams and stuff we went, other cities and stuff we went and played in. And I feel like it was on a, it was on its way to some huge, and you know, uh, you know, if, if I feel like it wouldn't have got cut short, it, it would have definitely been uh, a league where you know the NFL could have took serious because a lot of talent in that league. Uh, it was a, it was just a, a fun experience. You know, a lot of guys took it serious, came in and. And prepare like pros, and they was putting out. I feel like they was putting out good, good film, and you know it was a good. It was something good that you can that uh, fans and stuff was uh, attracted to. You look at the views and stuff that they was coming out with the numbers, and you know they were, the views was going up week by week. So yeah, I definitely feel like it was a good thing, and that they need to you know carry that thing on for the guys that coming behind me because you know we need football. You know NFL is is only four to five months throughout the year. So, you know, having football year-round would be a great thing for, you know, the, the world. You mentioned the Georgia Bulldogs a couple of times here in the interview uh, and uh, and uh, the championship last year. What was it like for you? Uh, you played on some great Georgia teams. What was it like watching the Dogs uh, win that championship, get the first one since 1980, and uh, beat Alabama in that national title game? Man, it felt, it felt super good. It was just a big relief lifted off my back. You don't understand how, how it is to to play, to be a Georgia Bulldog and for them to be like, well, y'all be good every year, but how many championships y'all want? Y'all be good every year, but this and that. Y'all can't get over the hump of saving. Y'all can't do this. Y'all can't do that. So it's like now I can, I can you know, throw that back in their face. Like, you know, we got one now. We You know what I mean? We always had one, but, you know, we, we the one in the last five years. You know, that's, it's all about what have you done for me lately, and uh, you know we we did it this year. I couldn't have been more proud of those guys and that defense, and you know even the quarterback. He got a good story to tell, and I was just happy.
And Toby, man, I know you're getting ready to head to that bubble here soon in Birmingham, but they're going to be able to deal with you with that trash talking because you're going to run into some of them guys that was talking about talking this and talking that. Tell them, hey, don't act like your cell phone don't work now. Don't act like you don't see me walking down the hallway. You saw what we just did. Both, not just, not listen, oh, yeah, not I just. I can't wait to get down there. I'm, I'm going home and kick up all my Georgia gear. All my old Georgia gear. I may bring my letterman down there. I'm bringing everything. My car, they got all the Georgia stuff on there. I can't wait. I can't wait to get back down, so. Oh, three and down to Toby. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, and best of luck to you there with the New Jersey Generals. Thank you much. I appreciate y'all for having me. Toby Johnson joining us here on Three and Out. We'll be back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you on this Friday. We'll talk to Fred Owens coming up in just a little bit about the uh, the latest with Major League Baseball and the Players Association. Of course, the Braves' uh, financial earnings uh, got put out there today, so everybody's been talking about that. Uh, BJ and Ben, so we'll we'll hit that. And of course, you're entering the late stages of the supposed deadline of negotiations. You got today, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. If you don't have a deal, Major League Baseball said you're going to start canceling games, missing paychecks, missing games uh, that will not be made up. So all that out there, we'll talk with Fred Owens about that coming up in just a little bit. But some uh, news we didn't get to hit yesterday for Georgia fans. Good news, uh, wide receiver slash tight end Eric Gilbert back. Missed all of 2021 uh, with Georgia. Now, uh, back had 35 catches at LSU. Transferred to Georgia was going to be part of me. It's one of those things, uh, BJ and Ben, where we were talking about Arik Gilbert before the beginning of the year. Like, nobody was talking about Brock Bowers. They were talking about him, right? And so now you throw him back in with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, some others. You have some big, big guys that can catch the football and, and create a lot of mismatches for people. Yeah, yeah. Glad to. Glad to see him back, and and Ben, I don't know, looking ahead to this fall, uh, we'll have spring, and and we'll get a feel for what George is wanting to do, but I don't know how you match up with that. I mean, uh, uh, Gilbert can play wide receiver, can play tight end, kind of a hybrid player, but if you're Georgia and you run out in, in I guess if you want to call it a big package, I don't know if it's goal line or what you want to you know call a three tight end set, but could you have Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, and and uh, Eric Gilbert, how do you how do you defend that? I mean, and then you're talking about uh, A.D. Mitchell and the skill guys and the speed. I mean, the backs. Obviously, Stetson Bennett back to throw the ball. But I think Georgia only becomes more difficult to match up with in terms of, I know you've long talked about the big wide receivers or the tight ends in that defensively, what type of player do you put on a guy that's 6'4", 6'5"? Is it a linebacker? Well, too fast for a linebacker. Is it a is it a corner? No, too big. And then you know safeties maybe depends on the type of safety. But I think Georgia could have just a ton of matchup possibilities this fall. Watching it comes, I think he was a guy that was obviously you, look, you go back a couple of years in the bowl game. He showed a lot of promise. Wasn't really a part of the passing game as much as he thought he would because nobody saw Brock Bowers being what he is. If Eric Gilbert is halfway as good as they as they hope he is, it's going to be scary for defenses because that's six five, that's six five, six five, wait, six three, six five, and six six. When you talk about Darnell Washington, it could get scary because even if you try to put a package out there, I mean, these safeties they giving up, you know. 40, sometimes 50, 60 pounds. Brock Bowers showed you that he's uncoverable. Darnell Washington seems to be that in-line blocking tight end, the more than two, two-way go. But I just think uh, if Eric Gilbert is that guy that he claims to be, it is going to be a long year for these defenses, especially if Georgia can get back to establishing the run. And again, uh, Ben, you talk about the mismatches that Brock Bowers creates. What are teams looking at in terms of mismatches? We had yet another guy in there. Are we talking about, you know, kind of like the New England Patriots with, uh, with Gronk? 
And Aaron Hernandez had those two mismatches at tight end where pick your poison, the other one is going to make you pay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going it's, it's to come down to scheme and how they scheme it up. I mean, Brock Bowers, you already know, I mean, Lopez, he don't get big and the injury bug don't hit him. He's one of the best tight ends we've ever seen, and he's only a true freshman. Darnell Washington seems to be that utility guy that said, look, I'm going to do the dirty work. I'm not going to ask a lot, man. Throw me the rock if, you know, if the if the, uh, if the scheme or the, the defense presents itself that way. If Eric Gilbert can become that guy they hope he is a, a couple of years back at LSU, it is going to be a long year because they're going to create mismatch problems. They're they going to win those 50-50 balls. Brock Bowers got speed like a receiver. Darnell Washington looked like he played for, you know, for Georgia basketball, not Georgia football, with how tall and big he is. And, and BJ, if Eric Gilbert can get back to just playing football, and you and we do hope everything that with his family is is great with him, if it's, if, he, if he's there mentally, because you know he got the physical talent, oh, man, I mean, if Stetson Bennett had fun with Brock, and you get and you, and you to my Darnell and Eric, oh, man, Stetson Bennett, He's going to put up some big-time numbers, and unfortunately for those guys on the outside, them boys on the inside are going to be feasting. How do you see the role quickly for a guy like Gilbert when you when you talk about the size? I know a wide receiver uh, probably at Georgia kind of by, by definition of the position played tight end at LSU is kind of that hybrid playmaker. How many different ways can you use a, a if you want to say receiver like that, how many different ways can you line up a guy like that? Uh, maybe like a big George Pickens. Like, because the thing about George Pickens was, I'm not saying the same athletic, I'm not saying the same player. I think George Pickens is a is a better player than Eric Gilbert, not because not because uh, Eric Gilbert can't play, because I haven't seen Eric Gilbert play in the last year. But BJ, you take a guy that can listen to go from the to go from you usually go from the, the wide receiver position to the tight end position because you gain a little bit of weight. You don't usually go tight ends can't usually play the receiver position. Eric Gilbert can go out there and create some uh, plays for himself, and he can and he can force them to call plays. Hey, man, they're going to throw it up to him because at the end of the day, Brock Bowers is going to cause a problem, which means guys are going to be getting one-on-one opportunities. Got a lot more to come here on 3 and Out. Fred Owens, Tomahawk Take will join us in hour number two. Are we getting anywhere? Doesn't sound like it with the MLB Players Association and MLB in their negotiations and talks. Also, Roddy Jones, ESPN and ACC Network football analyst will join us in the final hour, we'll talk spring football with Roddy coming up on the show as well. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Three and out on this Friday. We'll hear from Fred Owens. Tomahawk take coming up in just a little bit. We'll get the very latest on the labor negotiations. Everybody's growing favorite topic. Uh, obviously out there when it comes to talking about baseball. And are we any closer to a deal? Of course, the Braves financials get put out there today and uh, if you're a player, that's probably good news uh, if you're trying to state your case. So uh, we'll talk to Fred Owens uh, about that coming up in just a little bit. But first, fellas, let's take three on this Friday. All right, we grow closer and closer to the combine. We've been going through every day your top prospects at various positions. Today we hit quarterbacks. Who are your top three quarterbacks in the upcoming NFL draft, fellas? And I think it's a better group than 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 people kind of say it is overall. Uh, I I think number one for me is Malik Willis, and I've gone back and forth. Are we talking? I, go ahead. I answer. I'll bring it up at the end. Go okay. ahead. I, I, I've gone back and forth with uh, Willis and and Pickett. I think both guys are really good. I think both guys had really impressive college careers. Have a lot to offer at the next level. Uh, I know. I know one thing we always talk about, right? Over the years, when we preview quarterbacks, is do you elevate the status quo? of your program. And I know going back a couple of years, Kevin, that was one of your critiques of like Jared Goff at Cal. Like, hey, you're the number one overall pick in the draft, but your your college team wasn't necessarily 
better when you were there. And I think that's something that's that's potentially concerning. I'm going to go Willis. I'm going to go Pickett. And then I'm going to go – Cam was talking me into it. I was I was Corral and, and, and Howell. But I think I'm going to go Corral three. And I think all three of those guys – elevated the status quo of their programs. You think about uh, Willis transferring in from Auburn. Uh, remember that a couple of years ago, Coastal Carolina's great season where they went undefeated and were in the national top 15. Well, Liberty was in the national top 20, top 15 as well. And Willis and Liberty actually beat Grayson McCall and Coastal Carolina in that Cure Bowl down in Orlando. And you've seen Malik Willis do it against big-time competition. I think his versatility, uh, the touch on his deep passes, really appealing. So I like him. I think I think Pickett at two, you know, the production uh, ha- has another. That's another quarterback with a great deep ball, has some mobility too, as we saw in the ACC championship game. Made history with the fake slide, right? Oh, I'm sorry, no. And then runs for the touchdown. Uh, and then I do like Corral. Corral statistically had a little bit of a disappointing season, but one thing that is important took care of the football. Uh, he's a guy that can run, you know, big time mobility as well, uh, w- w- which I think you have to have in today's game. He had five rushing touchdowns in one game for Ole Miss this past season. Why didn't Jesse Palmer do that back in the day, Ben, when you were at at, at Florida? But a good group. I think all of those guys can be franchise quarterbacks. I'm a little higher on the first two than the third, but I will go Malik Willis. I will go Kenny Pickett. And then a little bit of a a drop-off, but I will go Matt Corral third. I'll definitely go Malik Willis number one as well. I think he was a guy that definitely elevated his uh, his play when he was at the Senior Bowl. He, I mean, he's everything you want a quarterback. I mean, definitely a dual threat, but I mean, but he's a run first uh, quarterback. And then obviously, BJ, you talk about the deep ball. I mean, he got some zip on. They kept showing highlights of him at the Senior Bowl. Whenever you can work with uh, receivers you haven't seen, you just get off the bus. You just throwing those deep uh, th- those digs and those out routes and those uh, comebacks. I think he's going to be the first guy off the board. My number two is Matt Corral. I think. I think sometimes BJ and Kevin, like you said, if you are are you are you boosting uh, the reputation of your of your team? And I would go, yes, he's in the SEC West. We know it's all about we know it's all about Alabama, LSU, Texas and M. Well, a guy that was one thing about that old Miss team, you were scared to death of that offense. And it all started and finished with Matt Corral. Lane Kiffin is a guy that has to have a quarterback like Matt Corral that can go out there and call the plays that he does. And BJ, we saying five rushing touchdowns in the game, there are running backs. That can't do that. This dude is doing things, and he's and he's he's he was missing everything for that offense. And yes, they're not going to win as many games you would like, but they was in the national conversation a lot, and I think they had a lot to do with Mac Corral. My number three is not Kenny Pickett. I'm gonna go with Sam Howell because this is the thing. We talk about North Carolina, right? It's not like North Carolina is a powerhouse, but this guy did something as a true freshman, BJ. That the only reason why we didn't blow it up is because of Trevor Lawrence. Because if Trevor Lawrence would have came in and did that, what he did, we would have been going crazy. Sam Howell, unfortunately, I mean, you went. 2,000-yard receivers gone, 2,000-yard rushes gone. Well, what do you think he was going to do in year three? It was going to be a drop-off. Like, De'Ami Brown, those guys, that was a lot of production gone. But he made you watch. That is hard to do in college football with so much variety. So I do while – while I'm not saying that – while I'm not saying that Sam Howell is a better player than Kenny Pickett, I think he's an intriguing prospect because y'all know – they want a guy that can push the ball down the field. If Sam Howell can do nothing else, got a little Baker Mayfield in him. We'll throw the ball to the other team, but trust his arm. I still think he had incredible numbers in three years in North Carolina. Because now that he's gone, they finna get back to what they used to do. Hope and pray that they get some dubs. Because that man right there, he boosts the reputation. I was going to, basically, I'll, I'll, I'll give you mine, then I'll ask what I was going to ask. I have Kenny Pickett one. I think he's probably the best. Malik Willis right there. Then I have uh, Matt Corral. As my three, I think Sam Howell kind of fell off for me in that in big games, he kind of big games for North Carolina where they were supposedly it's a chance to make a statement, chance to 
I would say outside of the Clemson game where they lost trying to go for two, that being – but lately, like, twice went to Florida – played Florida State with a chance to, hey, it's a team that's not – and you lost to them. You got annihilated by Georgia Tech, who is not anywhere close to being considered a good team. Uh, and so that draws me back on on how a little bit – my question was going to be to you guys. I know we got to move on, but are we talking ourselves into talking up these quarterbacks because we know quarterbacks are going to be taken? It's like – I, BJ started off, the reason I brought it up because you started off by saying, hey, I think this is an undervalued quarterback class. Is it or are we talking these guys up because it's what we have? I mean, if, if you compare this class to another class, would you be saying these guys are awesome? And I'm not saying like Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett aren't good, but after that, to me, it falls off pretty considerably when you're talking about this quarterback class. Yeah, I mean, I, my, my only counter to that, I guess, would be that that's the case every year. I mean, is it is, may very well is be. I just, after the first couple of guys, because I have heard some pundits say, well, well, maybe there's not, you know, four, five, six. You know, you go back a couple of years ago, what, Dak Prescott went in the fourth round, and you think about guys like that. I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know how to compare, let's say, let's say theoretically a Sam Howell goes with the first pick in the second round or something like that, or that's not going to happen with the Jaguars, but goes at the top of the second round. I mean, how do you, how do you compare that to like a – uh, Kyle Trask going right at the end of the first round, top of the second round. I mean, I think I think there are comparable resumes. Uh, I I think Ben has mentioned this before that especially with quarterbacks, the kind of the talking points start years in advance. It's like, oh, this guy's gonna be the number one pick three years down the line, and then you hear it for a year, you hear it for another year, you hear it for another year, and it becomes kind of a part of just a, your your psyche. And I'm not sure you had that. Uh, I don't know that a couple of years ago that Malik Willis was necessarily talked about as a first-round pick. I don't know that Kenny Pickett, even though he was a starter for four years at Pitt, was talked about as a first-round pick. Sam Howell, you know, maybe. Matt Corral, maybe to a certain extent. But these guys weren't Trevor Lawrence. These guys weren't talked about in that regard. So I I, I do think it's a good group. Uh, Naturally, you're always going to have that magnetic pull to draft quarterbacks at the top. But I think there are a couple of guys here who have earned that. All right, moving on. Go quickly, Ben. Go ahead. Well, I, was, I was just going to say real quick. Look, I mean, we do this every year, but the quarterback position, I mean, BJ, we, Trevor, we say Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Who would Trevor Lawrence play with? He played with Trey. I mean, ETN. We act as if the, the, the team around him wasn't incredible around him. Trevor Lawrence, if he would have played for North Carolina, we can really see how good he is because he don't got the same cast of characters, right? Davis Mills, out of Stanford last year, played for the Houston Texans. Right? He's a starting quarterback. He had the same numbers as Tua. They had the same numbers. So as much as this is what it really is. We watch certain quarterbacks all year. We don't watch these other guys as much. So that's why we talking about, but it's a quarterback position outside the top 10 quarterbacks in the league. It is a huge drop off. I love Cam Newton. He ain't the same play. Yeah. All right, moving along. Take two. What prospect are you uh, excited to see at next week's I said, what prospect are you excited to see at next week's combine? Sorry, I, I don't know what I was trying to say. Man, I think it's I think it's <laughs> I think it's Traylon Burks. Uh, I think I think the wide receiver out of Arkansas listed at what 6'3", 225. There have been some comps to like an AJ Brown, maybe even if you want to go old school, an Anquan Bolden. Uh, had the huge production at Arkansas, over a thousand yards in the SEC, SEC West, 16, 17 yards per catch, which is elite and I'm not saying this should matter, okay? Because I think all of us agree on the show that the combine is a little exaggerated in terms of its significance, right? You know why I know Traylon Burks can ball? Because I saw him do it, and I saw him do it at Arkansas against some of the best defenses in the country. 
But in terms of just if we are going to buy into the hype of the 40-yard dash and this and that, you're talking about a guy that's 6'3", 225. Cam, you were telling me earlier that maybe some reports that he could run in the 4'3s, that maybe in the past there's been a 4'3'4", a 4'3'5". If that happens, even in a class with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Drake London, all these guys, Traylon Burks may be the first wide receiver taken. If he's 6'3", 225, having just destroyed the SEC, comes into the combine and runs a 4-3-something, he, he might go in the top 10, top 12. So I'm excited to see Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Last year there was a tight end by the name of Kyle Pitts who, who wowed everybody you know, with his athletic ability, and everybody knew he was going to be a top pick because of where he went. Isaiah Likely is two inches shorter, and he is nine pounds less. Isaiah Likely was about as good as you can play the tight end position, but because of the, but because of where he played, people say, oh, I don't like that. Either you can play or you can't. And every time, every time Coach Carolina needed to play in the passing game, they went to Likely. The whole world knew it. 6'4", 240 pounds. I wanted to watch this young man go out there and show the world. Listen, at the end of the day, man, I went out there and produced at the college that I, that I chose. And I and you talking about elevating the status quo. Oh, he definitely helped elevate Coach today. He knew it by himself. But he definitely was so Isaiah Likely, I'm looking forward to seeing this young man watch all these other tight ends with Widermire and those guys and McBride and say, hey, man, y'all bigger than me. When they put that ball in the air, tape don't lie. The Kevin Thomas rule. The tape don't lie. Sorry that I'm not as big as y'all, but I fall when you put me between them lines. I mean, my guy is really simple. Uh, it's Jordan Davis. Uh, and, and I will say this, uh, because so much of last season was Jordan Davis dominating, dominating, dominating. Then about mid-season, it was... You know, he's not the best guy on that defense. It's Nicobe Dean. I mean, you heard this near. It's like, Nicobe Dean's actually a little better. Then it was the Alabama game where he got tired and he had to come off the field. It's like, yeah, you and we, Ben were hating. No, I wasn't hating. Oh, I was I, That you, happened on the field. We were hating because of fatigue? I didn't say he was a bad player. I said he got tired. And, and so now, so, so then I'm looking to see, like, to, to me, I'm all, I am a tape guy, but if you're going to give me one guy to look at at the combine, Jordan Davis, 6'7". 300 and who knows how many pounds. I want I want to see him run. I want to see him lift. I want to see him do some of those things. Validate what we saw on the field. Just for me. And again, Ben, I know Ben's a big problem. Like, you don't have to work out. That's true. But I just want to see it. That's all. That was the question. Who do you want to see? Oh, he, brought the, he, brought the, he brought the Calvin Johnson that thing. When Calvin Johnson ran that 40, he, listen, Jordan Davis do anything in the 49s. If he run 49, whatever, he can just keep running. Just keep running out the arena. Just go get on the plane. You're done, young man. You're done. And I think that's true. B- BJ and I talked about that before we came on. We're like, if he goes sub five in the 40, or even maybe a five flat at six, seven, that that big, it's, you don't need to do anything else. You don't. I mean, nobody's going to be able to get get up and down. I think people don't have appreciation for how somebody that big uh, running that fast uh, truly is. All right, take three quickly before we get to Fred Owens. Uh, talking about baseball, do you expect there to be a deal by MLB's proposed deadline of Monday? I don't. I don't. And the only thing I base that off of is is, is the reports from uh, you know the people who are there covering it uh, that are right there saying, hey, it doesn't look like they're close. And I don't think we have any reason to believe some kind of magical progress will be made over the weekend. Now, I certainly hope that. I think we all want a full season, 162. Uh, we want free agency and all that stuff. But I just I don't feel good about it, Ben. No, it's not going to happen because I think these uh, players, uh, they got, I mean, they dug in the sand. They're telling these owners that the, the leverage that y'all used to have, y'all don't have it anymore. So let me get this straight. Y'all want to not give us uh, the things we want and y'all want to uh, add to the playoffs? Nope, not doing it. So I think the players are kind of kind of – 
showing these owners, hey man, we kind of learn from y'all playbook. We seeing what y'all doing. Take something away. Use the leverage that we have. And 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 unfortunately, Kevin and BJ, you would hope you would have loved for him to come to this, but the players don't like being threatened. You got till Monday. No, no, no. You got till Monday too to agree to it too. So because because uh, these uh, meetings are getting less and less, I do not think we're gonna have uh, an agreement come Monday. Yeah, my only response to it, BJ, would be, why would you? Why would you think a deal's getting done on Monday? They locked out back in December. They didn't meet, really, for two months. And then they kind of came down to the last week plus 10 days of February and said, okay, guys, now we're going to get serious and we're going to get something done. Uh, and obviously, they're so far apart. I mean, I, I wonder, had you been real serious about it and said, hey, we're going to start meeting at the 1st of January and we're going to talk this thing out. But you basically gave both sides. And again, I try to stay consistent about both sides because people like to pitch you, oh, why are you bootlicking the owners and their billions? Or why are you... Both sides have had ample time to talk this out. They gave themselves about 10 days to get serious about it. Nobody should be surprised that it's, it's probably not going to get done. And unfortunately, the ones who hurt in all this are the fans who just want to watch baseball. That's it. Uh, and because they could have been talking about this for a while. But yeah, why would you think it's going to get done? That's take three. We do it every day here at this time. We'll come back. We'll talk with Fred Owens, Tomahawk. Good to have you on this Friday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Of course, uh, if you're a baseball fan, everybody looking down to Florida to see if anybody's going to come to their senses on either side and try to actually get a, a deal done before we start missing games, and they have until Monday to get that done. Joining us here from Tomahawk Take, good friend of the show, Fred Owens, joins us here on 3 and Out. Fred, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm very well, and uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate you coming on. I, I I know both sides have kind of dug in on some of their arguments here about why they're asking what they're asking. Do you, I'll just start off, uh, do you think come Monday somebody's going to just snap to and say, by golly, we got to get a deal done, or do you think this thing's going to canceled games? Well, I think there's two chances, Slim and none. Uh, Slim just rode out of town. These, these guys, uh, they are they dislike each other so much, and and. I know they stand up and said we don't take personal feelings into this, but that's just a lie. That's just a lie. Clark doesn't trust Manfred any farther than he can throw him. Manfred's a lawyer who loves to fight over the details. This whole thing, um, no, there's no right side in this, honestly. Uh, the union doesn't seem to know where it's going. It has a plan. Well, we want $100 million. Oh, $105 million. Well, we'll drop that to 100 No, next week it's $115. Uh, meanwhile, the league's stance on minimum salary is just a little draconian, and it, they don't—they're not going to move on revenue sharing or the six-year free agency thing. Um, and so we've got two sides who are dug in deep, and there's nobody there who's a who appears so far to be a someone that both sides will listen to. Uh, I just don't think. I think that the union came into this fight wanting to win, uh, that there's a few of the owners, enough of them to block boats, who want to do as much damage to the union as they can. And in the end, uh, the game suffers uh, for, for, for both sides taking that, uh, taking that position. Uh, Rob Manfred's got the personality of a rock, so every time he gets up to speak, people go to sleep, or and they hear him trip over things. I haven't heard... Tony Clark speak lately, and that's probably a good thing for him. So it just doesn't seem like there's any forward momentum. They don't know, okay, when you go into a negotiation, you have certain things you'll give and certain things you won't give, and you try to get some of the other things, but you have a path 
I'm going to go down. If I get this far, I'm going to take it. If I get this far, I'm going to take it. We have to get this. We have. But nobody seems to be going there. Nobody seems to be in charge of this train. It, it just seems to wander off on a different track every time they meet. And I just I don't think there's any chance they get it by Monday. I praise them if they do, but I don't think there's any chance they get it by Monday. By Monday. And I think the the whole the whole premise of of canceling some they're losing games in the league and not making them up could be um, fuel on the fire. I don't know what what they're going to do. I understand that there's only X amount of days to do it in, and if you're going to just stick expanded playoffs of some kind on them, uh, and you want to get all that in, you, there's just not much time to do that based on what's in the current CBA and, and what I expect to be in the next one. I just don't think that there's enough time that they're they're creating what what I'd call a blivet. A blivet's when you try to pour a pint into a, a quart into a pint pot. It just spills out over the place and makes a big mess. And somebody's got to clean it up, and it still it stinks. It's just I, I'm so frustrated at both sides of this that I'd I'd lock them in the room and wouldn't let them out for nothing until they had they could agree to speak to each other civilly. And I don't think they've done that yet. Brett, I think we all agree nothing's going to happen by Monday, but let's kind of speculate out. I mean, when we talk missed games, is that we miss a couple of weeks of games? Is that you, you know, go down to 140? Is I, I, I mean, what is kind of worst-case scenario here when we talk about a shortened season? Well, the, the league has already said they're not going to make up anything. They're just going to pick up the schedule where it's at. So, you know, you're talking, I would expect if they miss games, it's going to be at least two weeks. Um, and then you're sort of talking, well, you're down to like, I don't know, 150, something like that. However, that divides out and you're going to lose, lose games that, uh, makes the schedule even stupider than it is. Uh, I, I just, I think, I think you could be down to 154, 148 games, maybe. Uh, I don't want to, I mean, you know, I don't want to say go that far, but at least I would think you're down to around 150 games because I don't think it jumps back right away. I think the the league is hard set on four weeks of spring training. Uh, and so if you do that and you stick to it and you don't get started till the end of next week, you're already into the first week of April. Uh, you have, you have 200 odd free agents out there that haven't found a home. You've got uh, we do, the teams don't know how the, what the injury status is. The players who are rehabbing, like like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Charlie Morton, uh, and we don't know what they're going to come back and look like. What's Mike Soroka going to look like? Uh, it just seems like uh, it seems like you're going to lose at least two weeks, and that's what twelve games, something like that. So that would take you to about 150. I mean, Fred. Whenever the do they do agree on something, they can finally get back to playing baseball. What's the likelihood that Freddie Freeman is in Atlanta Brave next year? Boy, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to upset a lot of people here. I never thought Freddie was coming back once he hit free agency. And the reason I didn't think that is because the Braves had the money before last year. Look, Freddie made twenty two five or something like that last year. Any raise he gets is going to be less than what they what they threw away on on Smiley last year. Um, yes, they have some arbitration coming, but they knew at the end of the year, they knew that they were going to go to the postseason. They were going to rake in a bunch of money. I see the, um, the financials are out for the, uh, for, for Liberty's, uh, baseball, um, uh, Liberty's or baseball portion of Liberty's media out there. And they're showing about $27 million 
um, income after uh, OIBDA. Um, I know that uh, a lot of people think that's fiddled. Well, that may be, but in any case, they're they're showing about a, a less than thirty million income. But even with that thirty million income, you have enough to pay Freddie Freeman. The problem is not the money. The problem is the years and this intransigent position that the Braves have had that they're not going to give him any more than five years, even with the DH coming, uh, which is just, you know, if it, Albert Pujols went down the tube after he went to the Angels because he was already an injured player who was starting to wobble a little bit. Uh, Miguel Cabrera has had bad knees and a bad back forever, and people are comparing uh, Freddie to those two players, and that's just dumb. That's dumb. Freeman is not that that guy, uh, and there's no reason they couldn't give him six years and 175, uh, except that they don't want to. And so as a result, they've upset Freddie, and he's going to end up somewhere. Um, I originally thought the Angels might jump in, but now Artie Moreno is still not opening his checkbook. I'm not sure the Dodgers really want to do that. I've, I've had a secret hunch that he fits really nice in Houston where they don't have a first baseman after this year, and they're willing to take on the guy with, that can uh, hit, hit home runs in that park uh, any day of the week. So I, I think he's going elsewhere, and I, I think the Braves know he's going elsewhere. Um, and unless nobody makes him an offer, which is almost a joke now, uh, I think a very upset Freddie's going to leave town. And I know a lot of Braves fans will be upset about that, but uh, Fred, assuming that's the case, if when a deal gets uh, struck, I mean, you're talking about a Braves team that if, let's just say, they sign the deal today and you can start tomorrow, you would have no first baseman and, what, only one outfielder uh, on, on, the, uh, on the roster. How much work does Alex Anthopoulos have to do once uh, they have the, uh, the, the working parameters in place there? Well, uh, the outfield situation is, not, I mean, Ozuna is going to come back and play. Uh, I think that the the winter uh, ended any chance of of uh, him him leaving. Uh, he's going to come back and play. Uh, they've got Heredia. They signed Heredia on board here. Uh, I don't think the outfield is that big a. And they got Duvall back. So I, I think they've got an outfield now. It's not a perfect outfield. What <clears throat> what I what I worry about is you're you're taking 30 home runs, the leader of the team, uh, the best hitter in the middle of the lineup out of the lineup, and you're going to replace him with something that's not nearly that good. And so you're digging a hole in the middle of the lineup. Uh, is a streaky hitter anyway. Without protection, he's probably not going to be anything like he was in 2019. Uh, you you don't have the big guns coming at the outfield. Uh, it's all going to fall on Austin Riley's shoulders. Uh, the, t- the team's going to be horribly right-handed. I just think that uh, losing Freeman is, a, is something that's going to be very hard to overcome. Priority is going to get it. Matt Olson is going to, I'll tell you, Matt Olson is going to cost you two top 100 Braves prospects and two more B-level prospects, and you're going to have him just long enough that he can hit free agency and get a big deal out there because the Braves aren't going to pay him. He knows that, and he knows the Braves don't have any loyalty to anybody, so they're not going to pay him uh, uh, the kind of contract that he's going to want. Somebody's going to give him more than that. You end up with somebody like Anthony Rizzo, Will Myers, maybe. You bring Will Myers in. The, the Padres would give him away for baggy used baseballs and a couple of pairs of sweat socks. And you bring Will Myers in. Okay, Myers is an okay guy, but he's, he, can, he can play some corner outfield and he can play some first base. Anthony Rizzo's well past his sell-by date. Uh, I just don't know. I saw something about Joy Gallo this morning, a please. 
I uh, Gallo is apparently a pretty good first baseman, but uh, I, I just don't know. I don't know how they're going to constitute a team. Now, maybe Al- Alex is sitting in his little magic room with a potion, and he's going to magic something up. But I don't know how you do that. Uh, you need an outfielder. You need a center fielder. Kiermaier's out there, I suppose. Um, in a trade, you might get uh, might get Kiermaier for not, not much since they want to move him on. He plays a decent center field. Uh, but I just don't. I you know they're going to need another pitcher. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do about that. Uh, they need somebody to horse up the bullpen at the back too. Uh, I just don't know what they're going to do about that. It's just the, every team has this problem. Every team has holes, and they haven't had time to negotiate any contracts, make any deals with anybody, and and solidify a plan to go forward with. Say, okay, we've asked these three guys, and this is the order we want them in, and when they'll come in, we'll get that, we'll fill that hole and work around it. You don't have that kind of time now. You're going to have a week to start signing people and get them in camp and let them find out where their their locker is. Uh, and I just think the whole whole league is going to suffer for it. Uh, but my concern is the Braves, and I don't I don't know how you can how you can magic that up. Brad, uh, am I am I correct in uh, I guess gauging that you have sort of a pessimistic sense for 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 the Braves? I I don't know if you call it preseason, but in terms of Roster construction. Obviously, you're the defending champs, but do you ex- are are you expecting kind of a uh, regression correlating with not re-signing Freddie Freeman? Well, if you don't sign Freddie, you're going to regress. There's a, I who's going to replace the, the, his production I, I, that you're going to get that you can afford. Um, I I know I don't know that anybody else is in better shape, uh, and especially in the East, the Phillies aren't in better shape. The Nats certainly aren't. Um, the Mets maybe uh, they've spent a lot of money, uh, and they certainly they certainly have a better lineup than they do now. I'm not sure how their pitching's going to hold up. I'm not saying you're out of it, and there's no way to fight. Of course they can fight, and the Braves will do their best to do that. But I don't think they've given themselves a chance, and I think that the the dead winner um, has uh, has made that has exacerbated that situation. There's no time to go out and, and make the deals and set, lay the groundwork because these deals don't happen because somebody has a bright idea. You lay groundwork for the deal. You contact the other general manager. They, they talk back and forth. You figure out how it's going to work. There's a discussion goes on. Text, I guess, now on the phone. But there's still a discussion that goes on until you find common ground. And when you do that, the deal's made. But those kind of things don't happen overnight. Everybody's going to be... Unless they've been cheating on the league, of course, they're not allowed to talk about this behind closed doors. And everybody knows they have been. So uh, I don't know what's going to be done. I just think it's going to be a real miracle if if he pulls anything together around this in the few days he's going to have. Having said that, everybody's going to fight this fight. So, you know, there, when we have pitching and we have some pretty good boys coming up there, so I don't know. I, I'm not giving up on anything. I just don't think it's been handled well. Our guest here on Three and Out, Fred. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Always, always good to talk to you guys. You take care out there. Will do. Fred Owens joining us here on Three and Out. We'll come back. He mentioned those Braves baseball meeting in Florida. Apparently, Rob Manfred made a uh, visit to the proceedings uh, today. First time he's been there all week. Always good when the commissioner finally gets involved after a week of uh, negotiations. But uh, a lot of folks looking towards Monday. Are they going to get any closer to a, uh, a deal? Doesn't seem, at least from our perspective, that it will. But a lot of folks talking about uh, BJ Ben. If you're a player, you probably like that the 
the 2021 financials dropped for Liberty Media, right? Because you look at it, and I know people can move the numbers how they want, but basically, as you heard Fred said, after depreciation, amortization, which all businesses do, you're still looking at, what, $31 million in profit for the Atlanta Braves from the 2021 season. And you can say, well, they made a deep run in October and, you know, obviously going to the World Series and getting parts of that revenue helped. And I'm sure it did. But again, I don't know if you're straight up looking at it when you see the first number of $100 million, if you're going to say it's the same as putting your money in a, in a Roth IRA and getting 4%. I mean, which is what Rob Manfred tried to say. So I'm sure if you're a player, you like seeing that out and say, look, this is a team obviously that won the World Series, but a team that was profitable in Major League Baseball in a in a pretty sizable way. Yeah, and I think a couple of thoughts. I think I think one, uh, like you said, this probably doesn't help the perception uh, argument, the public opinion kind of back and forth in in favor of the owners. I think this this would play into the players' strength and, of saying, "Hey, there's sure. money here. There's more money here than maybe even was initially assumed." And then also to Fred's point, I think if you're a Braves fan and you see those 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 numbers. One of your first thoughts is you can't re-sign Freddie Freeman, uh, and and I understand that may be more of a length type thing than than total value of uh, the contract, but 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 still, I think Ben, when you're talking about uh, a labor lockout, when you're talking about contract negotiations, when you're talking about maybe not re-signing one of the best players in franchise history, I think when you see this, a lot of people are going to have questions. Well, and let me play the other side just. To, to play the other side. I mean, I think you look at uh, the Braves, who are obviously going to be the target of a lot of this because, well, I think they are one of just two publicly owned teams, or they are owned by a company which is publicly traded, so they have to disclose their earnings. That's what publicly traded companies do. They put out their earnings statement. The other, the other teams don't have to do that. So you can say, I'm sure somebody will say, hey, that's the Braves. I'm the Colorado Rockies. I didn't make no money. We didn't make the playoffs, we, so it's hard to do that, but the Braves are obviously been getting the most scrutiny because, well, their financials have been put out there for the public to see, as they have to be as a publicly traded company like Liberty Media. Yeah, and I think sometimes, too, we get caught up in uh, the end result. I think, uh, you know, the fan in us, the, the analysts in us, the breakdowns in us don't realize whoever, whoever, whoever invested in the Braves, that was their way of making money for life. It just happens to be baseball. At the end of the day, they are saying, look, we like Freddie Freeman. We don't love him that much. And and BJ, right, wrong, and different. If you are, if you are a part of that, if you are a part of that, that group, as much as you want to bring Freddie Freeman back, you've won with him. You've also lost with him. But this comes down to it has to make financial sense for them because they look at it as look, we were gonna make money if Freddie Freeman was never a brave. He happened to become a brave, meaning I think we start talking about these financials. You got to look at it from you got to look at it from a different entity. Billionaires don't make money by giving money away. Uh-uh. They are very, very, very stingy with that money. I'm talking about they come down to the most. They're always looking to cut costs to be able to benefit, benefit over here. Do I think Freddie Freeman should be a brave? Yeah, but I'm also not in that front office. I mean, Allison Thompson, his hands are tied. They said, what did the last guy get? Got 130. Okay, we'll give him 135. And some of you said, BJ, the next big-time first base, come on, he's going to reshape the market. But they're looking at, they're looking at the future. In the present, they're saying to themselves, if we give him this, and and somebody snapped their fingers and say, what's the other guy's name? His name is Ronald Lacuna. What is he going to get? So I, I think that I think that sometimes when you get it, and I, and I got to say this, 
the, there is a disconnect between owners and players, and that's in every league. That's in every single league. Them owners thinking that the players asking for too much because they're like, do they want this and they want that? Yes. And the owner's going to come out on top no matter what. Like, like Kevin, me and you saw it, what, a couple of weeks back. We're like, dude, the Braves are clearing what? At least a mi- after they pay all the bills, they're clearing a million dollars a game. That's after they pay every bill. But the thing is, they don't want that to dip. They want that to go up. Okay, we're doing a million now. How can we get that 1.52? Because it's all about revenue with them. It's winning World Series or bonuses to these owners. It's a bonus. They want to win them. They want to make money. So I just think that as Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter did not do what he did because he was worried about winning World Series. I'm a Yankee, man. I, I don't work World Series. We ain't finna win nothing out here. He's making money. So I, I I do I do see both sides of it. But I think the one thing the owners didn't didn't they could not uh they try to be able to calculate if they could not calculate these players being smart in this regard as it pertains to this negotiating table because this is where the owners most to dominate. They're not dominating. I wish that the and the only way the players say we're gonna have leverage, we gotta we gotta call their bluff. They think we're afraid to lose to not play games. We got to show them that we're not willing to play no games. We don't want to not not play the whole season. But what other leverage do the players have at this point? But yes, if you saw those financials with the Braves, that's what the Braves did. You can only imagine what the Yankees and and the Red Sox are doing. But yes, the Braves, surprise surprise, they're a profitable franchise. Yeah, I just think if you're if 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 you're talking about kind of the two storylines from from Braves country or, or, or baseball surrounding the Braves, well, you have the owners versus the MLBPA, and I think this is something when the data is released, it plays in favor of the MLBPA saying, hey, we feel like more should be reciprocated back towards our yeah. players' union. And then even though I don't, I don't know that it directly correlates because, as Fred said, I think the issue with uh, Atlanta and Freddie Freeman, whether you agree with it or not, I think – there's a unwillingness of Atlanta to give Freddie Freeman a sixth year and and reports that a five-year deal uh, would be offered or has been offered or is offered, whatever, but a six-year deal, they're not willing to go that length. But I think when you're hearing the Braves can't, won't sign Freddie Freeman, and then you see these financials, your thought is, why? And And I think, like you said, in terms of the public discourse regarding Freddie Freeman and the public discourse regarding the owners versus the uh, MLBPA. I don't think. I think. I think this is something that probably plays in favor of those saying, "Why won't you sign Freddie Freeman?" And plays in favor of those saying the MLBPA deserves more than they're getting. I mean, do you think that's how this is being received? Uh, I mean, I, I, again, the players seem dug in on their side. The owners seem dug in on their side. And certainly, with today's report, the players will probably look at that as an opportunity to double down and say, "Well, like you said." The Braves obviously show money. How many more of you guys were, were, were making money? Certainly, if the Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers are out there spending more money on their payroll than the Braves, well, they're not going to spend more on payroll if they're losing money, right? They're, gonna, they're probably making more money. So I think the, the players are probably going to look at that as a, a positive out there and probably, probably try to stick uh, to their positions. My, my whole argument in this whole thing is at the end of the day, players are looking out for their side. Owners are looking out for their side. Who's looking out for the baseball side? I.e., obviously you want to do what's good for you. They want to do what's good for them. Who's looking out for the good of the game? And there being no game is not good for the for the game. Uh, and so I think uh, even if it's just 10 games you missed, BJ, which we talked about with Fred, 
uh, I, I think that's not good. That's going to turn some people off uh, to to your sport. And I, I've said this all along. Like once you go down that rabbit hole, I mean, if you're the owners and you're that dug in, what's the difference in missing ten games and twenty games? I mean, I know you're going to start missing TV money, but if you're that dug in, like, what's the difference in ten and twenty? What's the difference in thirty? I mean, I know you start getting up to a whole season, but the longer it goes on, you start saying it's like, well, we can hold out ten more games. I mean, what the I heck? think they I mean, better be careful with that mindset. I, I, I'm not saying they have that mindset, but I, but but what I'm saying is, if you're this far apart today, how do you close that gap? Just because you are you willing to just throw down and wave the white flag? Up, oh, we missed ten games. We're done. We'll give you everything you want. They're not. I mean, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do it. We got up in just a little bit. Top of the final hour. Ben didn't want to cut you off there. Uh, last hours we were talking about uh, baseball and the labor negotiations, but I uh, want to give you a chance to do that. And obviously, just a few days for folks to sign up for your uh, men's symposium coming up. Uh, I think Monday, the last day to do that. Uncommon cru.com for uh, you know to, to sign up uh, for the men's symposium. Uh, Money Matters event going down 9 32, 30 March the 5th at uh, East Georgia State College Auditorium. But no, uh, Kevin and BJ, the BJ, listen. Everything you said about Freddie Freeman is right. When I was in the National Football League, the one thing I did not understand that will not change, that won't change for any player, is the business. It, it, it just won't change. And sometimes the only way to get us to understand is, is a player like Freddie Freeman. Like, right, Freddie Freeman should be re-signed by Atlanta. There's nothing Alex Anthopoulos can do. He's done all he can do. Because he goes back, they go, nope, because I'm telling you, Jerry Jones don't think Dak Prescott is that important. He thinks the star is more important than Dak. Because you know why? Because he's had Tony Romo, he's had Troy Aikman, and so on and so forth. The, this A right here, to them, is more important than anybody winning. So we'll see what happens. But Kevin, BJ, get ready for you know a, a long start to this season because it's gonna be it's, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to ride this one out. Yeah, unfortunately, again, we'll all be the ones that end up losing in this deal. We'll come back. Roddy Jones will join us. We'll talk some spring football with him of ESPN and the ACC Network next here on Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out, final hour on this Friday. Thanks for being with us, making us a part of your day. So much to get to here in the final hour. Of course, baseball continues to negotiate. You've got spring practice going on around the country in college football. And joining us here to talk about uh, Georgia Tech back underway in Atlanta and more from the ACC Network, ESPN, and former Georgia Tech running back Roddy Jones joins us here on three and out. Roddy, welcome. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic, and obviously an important spring there for, for Jeff Collins. I know uh, they've lost a number of guys to transfer. They recruited, if you want to call it that, uh, pretty well in the transfer portal. Uh, he obviously needs a great season. Could he add a Michigan State-esque type turnaround? Maybe not 10 wins, but could he win more games than people are thinking if those transfers really come through? Um. <laughs> Uh, it, it's a it's a great question. It's going to be the question of the spring. Um, look, here's here's what I know. The, uh, the the changes that were made, I think, were positive in a lot of ways. You know, I, I got I don't have any problem with with uh, with Dave Patnode. I don't have any problem with the coaches that were let go. Uh, but I thought the offensive identity was lacking at times. I thought Jameer Gibbs kind of got lost at times, uh, and I thought they that you know Jeff Sims' development wasn't quite what we expected it to be at this point, uh, and Chip Long has a history of, of putting out good offenses. Now, you know, it's sort of easy to do that, easier to do that at Notre Dame than a lot of places because of the level of talent that they get and the schedule that they play. But I do think he has a very strong identity of who he wants to be. 
the packages that he wants to run, the, the people that he wants to put in positions to succeed, you're going to see a lot of running backs and tight ends. So uh, I, I think the identity will certainly be there. Now, uh, wins, it, it, you have to play people to get wins, and the league is going to be really good this year, especially at the quarterback position. Now, all the coaching changes that happened in the league happened in the Coastal. So there's a lot of unknown variables, man. Like, will he win more games? I, I don't know. Could he? He should. Uh, you know, three is, uh, is, is a manageable number at the top. Uh, but I don't think you're going from three to ten, not with Georgia, not with Clemson on the schedule uh, and some of the other teams they've got. Roddy, what's the pressure level like uh, on, on, on Jeff Collins? I know it's just spring and the fall schedule will uh, tell the tale, but kind of what's the uh, – how hot is this seat in Atlanta? Well, that, that kind of depends on who you ask. You know, when you, when you talk to people who uh, are around the program, they would say not very hot, and they'll point to the buyout, the financial situation at Tech isn't what it is at some other places. You know, they're not flush with cash. They're not Auburn, you know, that's going to shell out $18 million to tell a coach to go away. Now, Jeff Collins' buyout at the end of next season is, uh, is seven and some change million, which is manageable for a lot of schools. I don't know how manageable that is for Tech. So, so that's the financial, the realistic side of it. Um, but in terms of fan uh, angst, the, the, the angst amongst fans is high. You know, it, it's one thing to come in and, 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 you know, say this is a turnaround and it's going to take time. Um, but it's another thing to not only live through it, but also uh, to, to, um, to, to not only live through it, but also have to deal with sort of the social media buzz around the program that was created, the marketing. And in some ways, Jeff Collins is a, is, is a victim of his own success in, in branding the program and marketing the program and the way he talks about some of these players uh, that are pre- probably embellishes a little bit, but that raises expectations um, and causes fan angst. So, it depends on who you talk to when you're talking about hot seats, but certainly um, it's not cool. I mean, he's he's one of the he's one of the hotter seats in the ACC. I would say. And Ryder, what absolutely has to happen this year? I mean, I, as you mentioned, I mean, I don't know who did the scheduling for Georgia Tech, but it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest, schedule in the country next year. When you talk about playing teams like Notre Dame out of conference, but I mean, I'm just saying when you think about a guy like Jeff Collins, you talk about depending on who you ask. But what has to happen next season for at least? perception-wise, to give the fans some level of, I don't know, positivity moving forward and say, listen, man, maybe he is getting his team in the right direction regardless of what hasn't happened up until this point. Well, I, I, when you look at how they performed against the best teams on the schedule last year, uh, you had, you had uh, the, the Clemson game was obviously early in the season, and they, they played Clemson close. But I think we all knew at that time, and certainly learned later on, that that was a Clemson offense that was heavily flawed. So, so although it was 14 to eight at the end of the game, Georgia Tech never really felt like they were in the game, even when they were on the one yard line. You know, you, you were kind of thinking it was going to take a miracle for them to get that one yard because of how good Clemson was. But then you look at the other the, the other teams that they played that won double digit games. Uh, they played Pittsburgh. They got blown out. It was 35 to like seven at halftime. It wasn't even close. Um, they played Georgia and Notre Dame and lost by a combination of 100 to nothing. Now, those two games were without Jeff Sims, but still, like those two games could have been much worse than they actually were. So I think the measuring stick is going to be how do you play not only against the best team, but also they played a lot of one-score games last year. Some of those are manufactured, like Virginia, which it took two onside kicks to get within a one-score game uh, with, with not a lot of time left. 
but but when you look at the teams that they played, you got to play better against the really good ones, and then you got to win some of these one score games um, that that they have been ta- saying all off season. Hey, one score games, we're close. We got to get over the hump, and, and to do that, you got to have guys make plays. Roddy Jones joining us here on Three and Out, and Roddy, I know you talked about the offensive identity. What about the the defensive side of the ball for Georgia Tech, where uh, I know they were on the field a lot. You could use that as an excuse, but not a lot of big changes in terms of who's at the top, maybe some different roles, uh, but they got to be better, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, Jeff Collins' forte, right? He was the defensive guy, the uh, the guy that could come in and really be fast and aggressive. We're going to play with taller corners, and I believe they were down near the bottom of college football in interceptions and turnovers created last year. How does that side of the ball get better? Well, I think it's a number of things. You, 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 not only were they not great at, at getting interceptions last year, they were one of the worst pass defenses in the country, worse than the ACC, one of the worst in the country, both in overall pass yards per game and also yards per attempt. So the, the pass defense was absolutely atrocious. They haven't been able to rush the passer consistently since he got there. And a lot of that comes down to communication on the back end in terms of pass defense. But they blew too many coverages. They put the safeties in tough positions. And to be honest, the two experienced safeties, three Carpenter, three Carpenter actually played pretty decent, but Wanya Thomas uh, and Caleb Oliver, to some extent, didn't exactly play like we expected them to, didn't play to that level. I think the corners were disappointing, which is why you saw um, some movement in the secondary in terms of coaching. Um, but they've got to be able to rush the passer better. Like, I think they're pretty decent at linebacker. Uh, their best pass rusher, Jordan Dominic, just hopped in the portal. Uh, so the question is, who steps up? You know, they had an Alabama transfer, Kevin Smith, come in last year. who showed some flashes. Um, the other guy who was really good, Jared Ivey, just uh, he hopped in the portal. He's going to Ole Miss now. So, so their best, most proven pass rushers are gone. It's going to be a massive question. Will they actually be better um, in, from that standpoint? Because it's a lot of unproven guys. Uh, they, they also lost Marco Coleman, one of the defensive line coaches, who, uh, who took a job at Michigan State. So, um, look, I, the defense has to be better. I think they will be. The question is how much, because they were brutal last year. And, you know, you can use the excuse that they were on the field a lot. There's, there's defenses that are bad because they're on the field a lot. There's defenses that are bad because they're bad. They're turning guys loose. They actually didn't miss that many tackles, but missed big gaps, stuff like that. And that was, that's what Georgia Tech was last year. So I think they'll be better with a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, different voices, <laughs> more, more focus. So that's, those are the buzzwords that we use in the offseason. But, but I think just by force of talent and being in this defense at three three five for another year, they should be better. What is next for, for Jeff Sims? You know, really talented guy, has some experience now. What are the expectations for him this spring and then looking ahead to this fall? Well, I think consistency and accuracy and decision-making are the biggest things. Um, you, you know, the, there's the, the things that, to me, separate the, the really good quarterbacks uh, from, from just guys that are talented is, is consistency and accuracy and ability to shake off mistakes. Uh, and Jeff Sims has not really shown either of those on a consistent basis. You know, I, I think Chip Long is going to be more aggressive in running him. Uh, if you go back and watch that North Carolina game, I think that's sort of the perfect blend for what Jeff Sims needs to be. You know, he, he should be a guy that if you squint hard enough and you put your bifocals on and maybe a magnifying glass, you see a little bit of Vince Young because of his height, because of his build, because of his athleticism. Look, he's not Vince Young. I'm not saying he's going to be. But that's how his game should evolve. Like, he should be a guy that runs the ball seven to ten times a game very effectively, uses his legs to scramble, and is able to stand in the pocket and make the throws. He's not as physically talented 
not as big, he's not as fast, he's not as strong, his arm's not as strong, but that's the type of game that I think he can have that sort of resembles a Vince Young-type player. Um, but to do that, you've got to call more design runs, and he has to be a more willing runner, which he has not always been. Now, with that comes the potential for injury, and he's had a history of injuries, so uh, I, you know, I think that the fact that they're getting in a transfer quarterback from Akron, who's had some success, helps with the depth and their willingness to run him a little bit. I mean, Ryder, when you look at this team as a whole, offense, defense, special team, what you think is going to end up being the best group when we look back? And I know, I know we're getting ready for the spring, but what you think going to be the best group? <laughs> um, I, I think the special teams, like the special teams were pretty good last year. They were good at kicking field goals. They were a great onside kick team. I mentioned that Virginia game. They recovered two onside kicks in a row. They recovered another one in another game. Like, they were great when it came to onside kicks. Uh, pretty good coverage team. Um, they didn't punt the ball particularly well, but they did kick it well. So, so if you're asking me now, uh, I would say special team. Uh, but, but I think, uh, you know, if you're going to press me uh, on which one's going to be better offensively or defensively, because I feel like special teams is a little bit of a cop-out, I would say probably the offense. Um, I've got a little more faith in the talent they have there. I'm a little skeptical or a little concerned about who's going to run the football. Um, Jemias Griffin just jumped in the portal. Jameer Gibbs is obviously – Going to Alabama, Jordan Mason uh, decided to, to go pro, which really is Dante Smith, who's a talented runner. And then, uh, and then you've got some unexperienced guys behind him. You also had to short choice of running back, Coach Lee. Um, so I'm a little concerned about running back, which is a position, had been a position of strength for the last probably four years for Georgia Tech. Um, I'm a little concerned at receiver, but they've got some experienced guys. Malachi Carter, Donica Sanders, solid players. Um, if the offensive line can come along, I think the tight end group's going to be pretty good. So I, I would say the offense, but it all kind of hinges on running back offensive line and quarterback, which is, you know, the, sort of the core battery of a team. Roddy, uh, you obviously went through spring practice not long ago in Atlanta. We're a team leader. I, we've all said this is a big spring for Georgia Tech, but what, what can you learn in spring? I mean, what, what's realistic in terms of improvement? What hopes to be accomplished? And, does what you do in spring translate to the fall? I think the biggest thing that you want to see from Georgia Tech this spring is installation of the offensive system. Um, you know, the defensive, defensively, uh, improvement certainly would be something that you want to see. Um, the, the tough thing is in spring is like there's always a winner and a loser. And you have to kind of parse out, all right, is the offense losing today because the defense is really good or is it because they're really behind? And the easiest way to tell that is, all right, are you getting a hat on a hat and just getting beat? That typically shows you that there's some level of competence on the other side or you're just brutal uh, on, the, <laughs> on the side that's losing. But you don't want to be turning guys loose in, in pass protection. You don't want to turn guys loose in the run game uh, when, it comes to getting, uh, when it comes to blocking schemes. You don't want to have receivers running wide open downfield. As long as you're not seeing that consistently, then I think you've seen a little bit of improvement. Sorry, my, uh, my girls are now chiming in in the background. No, no, Roddy, I was going to say, how much, how much of the spring, I mean, is, is about really trying to figure out what your role is and really accepting that role. I understand that, you know, you go, you, you playing big-time football and you start realizing sometimes that, man, it's only so many roles to go around. How much it is just like, like you talking about installation, what I think is incredible, but how much is it is it the buy-in and saying, look, man, it's going to be on us. Jeff Collins, new coaches, new schemes, it's going to come down to these 11 on the field and really bigger than the scheme accepting your role and performing in that role? 
I, I think that's a huge part of it. Now, uh, some of the, the role acceptance, you know, is a little more um, – guys can be a little more reluctant with that with the portal. Like, I don't think you're going to get uh, – or maybe you will. Like, I, if, if Jeff Sims is not going to be the starting quarterback in the fall, I don't think you're going to hear that coming out of the spring because they want Jeff Sims on the roster in the fall. So they'll say it's a quarterback competition – or whatever, but if, if Zach Gibson comes in and wins the job, they're not going to announce that in the spring because Gibson's going to hop in the portal and he's going to go somewhere else. So, so some of the acceptance of the role may have to be delayed um, because you don't want guys transferring, to be honest with you, and that's sort of the deal with the portal. If you have a, a position, a quarterback in particular, but let's say running back or receiver or whatever where you have these, these, uh, these position battles, a lot of times it helps coaches to kind of keep those battles going into the, going into the, into fall camp. Um, but the establishment of leaders, I think, is big. And the establishment of, of it being a, a player-led team is huge um, because, you know, we've heard that come out of Georgia Tech the past couple springs. Like, we've been told, hey, you know, the leadership is better than it ever has been literally the last three seasons. Uh, and, and then, you know, when you get hit in the mouth in early September, it, it, that leadership – Either fails you or just doesn't perform. So, um, so yeah, I think it's important. I think the transfer portal makes the acceptance of roles a little more complicated. Though. Roddy Jones, our guest here on Three and Out. Roddy, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, guys, appreciate you. Appreciate it. Roddy Jones joining us here. You can catch him on ACC Network and ESPN covering college football. We've got more to come here. Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.